My name is Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with talented and interesting individuals linked to the global Indian and South Asian community. It's informal and informative, adding insights to our evolving cultural expressions, where each person can proudly say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a conversation with singer, performer, and hip-hop artist, Raja Kumari. Stay tuned. So I've always been fascinated by how we introduce and even reintroduce ourselves. Sometimes it's a completely unfamiliar situation and a fresh and true orientation is required. When you're a child or you're naive to the environment, it helps to have an experienced or more seasoned facilitator. But as you mature and become more confident, or if it's just super comfortable, it's often rejuvenating and empowering to just own the encounter and declare yourself. Speaking of owning it, thank you so much for listening to the show for subscribing and downloading and rating the podcast on your favorite platform, and for following on social media at Dr. Abhaydarnikar. So finding that sweet spot of liberation and empowerment can be so challenging for Indian Americans, as we're often filled with so many blends and bridges, classical and contemporary, old and new, desi and diasporic. And for many, searching for that sweet spot spawns moments of artistic clarity and resonance. And this is squarely where we find hip-hop artist, singer, and performer Raja Kumari. She's an American, born Sveta Yalapragada Rao, in Claremont, California, who grew up incredibly rooted in Indian culture, with classical Indian music as a soundtrack, and intensive training in Bharatnatyam, Kathak, and Kuchipuri. At 14, Sveta started performing as a hip-hop artist under the name Raja Kumari, rapping and writing her own songs, and learning and collaborating with Timbaland, Dr. Dre, Gwen Stefani, Fifth Harmony, and Iggy Azalea. Along the way, she's released a number of hit singles and EPs, and now moved to Mumbai to concentrate on professional work, as well as interest in philanthropy and mentoring other artists. This summer, after forming her own independent music label, Godmother Records, she released her latest work, the single Made in India, a feature on Rashi Sood's single Out of Love, and her latest EP titled HBIC, a collection of unapologetic and richly confident and empowering expressions of her individual journey. We caught up recently, and as I listened to Raja's music, I wanted to ask her if what kept going through my mind as a listener was driven and motivated by an epiphany or a story. When I listen to this new album and this new EP, the word I keep thinking of is liberating. Yes. You know, was there some sort of epiphany or perspective that's blossomed into this expression? Oh my, the story. I mean, both years of the pandemic, I was very limited from releasing music. I, you know, signed a mass appeal. I signed Nas, one of the greatest rappers of all time. And I just assumed like, this is it. This is my cosign. There's no bigger cosign in hip hop. You know, I'm the only female ever signed a Nas in history so like this has to be it and then the pandemic immediately you know and we try like like everyone we try to figure it out and then around august it was just i got shelved so i feel like during those two years we saw like the rise of so many artists that took advantage of the captain audience you know like you see ap dylan just become a superstar icon like out of nowhere just skyrocket you know and anuv jane there was like other fusion artists that really really dominated during that time 
And I just felt like I was watching everything from a prison. <laughs> and I have so much, like whatever I released on HBIC, everything but the dawn was done for two years. Like you have to yeah. understand, I've had this music. And, um, and I think like watching, just being so restricted after like really being the author of my own like identity for so long. And the cosign of all cosigns not being enough for America to all of a sudden just put me on the level of, you know, Doja Cat and, and Megan yeah. Stallion and, and the people that I believe that I'm competitive with, you know, like yeah. those people that I'd like to be competitive with, that I would like to be seen on the same level with, the cosign wasn't enough. Yeah. And, you know, I realized after seven years of being in the music industry, I basically realized that I was always the one with the vision behind it. I was always the one funding it, you yeah. know, and whatever was going to happen was only going to happen through me. And what was the point of everyone else owning it when I was spending all the money and the sweat equity and the, the creativity, because this industry is an industry where you become the mood board for right. everyone. Right. And I just felt like, I didn't want to do that free service anymore. You know, I was like, I need to, this to really be what I want to say. And I knew that that music was meant to come out. So, you know, it is the ownership part, like the ownership and the self-determination. It makes it almost e so much easier to be liberating. But I can imagine that artistically and professionally, it must be like just this huge, not just sense of relief, but just so many open windows now. You know, I really feel like I was in a rat race. Yeah. You know, like, I really feel like I would be putting out numbers, but it's all about, like, random people's temporary perspective. Like, if yeah. I got them to believe in it, will they believe in it four days later after they see a meme? You know, like, it was so yeah. subjective. Like, it was crazy. And the numbers that my male counterparts were doing, if I was doing the same numbers, I was not getting the same funding, the same care. Right. And it was just, like, so exhausting. And... I just got stuck in this like chaotic loop of like constantly trying to prove to everyone how important this is and how great I am and never getting the validation that I really wanted from outside and just right. going inward. The pandemic made me stop and go inward. And I realized that like lasting happiness is only going to come from me looking at what I've built for myself. And I looked around and I was like, I have done every job. Like, you know, when they say the CEO has done like the janitor job all the way to the top, right. man, I have done every job in my career yeah. and I just looked around and I was like I don't want anybody to restrict me and you have to tell you something this release out of every song I've ever released in my life I don't even know how many songs I've released but there's a lot this was the most relaxing and yeah. most like fun experience because I personally designed that entire Instagram rollout I decided to wipe my whole page and fix it like I did all the captions I mean it's a lot of work yeah but I decided how I was seen Right. You know? Right. And that, and then there was no, like, let me make sure the head of a label still thinks that I'm like, my right. chubbiness is not a problem. And they think if I get skinny that I'll get more plays. Like I am exhausted of everybody's like their decisions about how I'm supposed to be when it's like, if you put nothing between us and the music. It, it must feel wonderful to have that level and layer of control. I read something where you wrote that some of the sincerity on HPIC came from kind of losing those inhibitions, right? It's just like, hey, look, th these inhibitions are gone. I, I wonder what some of the inhibitions, I mean, you, you mentioned this already, right? What some of the inhibitions are, are barriers that have created that friction, you know, in creating the art in the past where it feels like it's such a burden. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I realized that. I realized that I wasn't enjoying my releases. Like a song would come out and I'd be like, whatever, this is all I could do. Like, yeah. you know, I had a song with French Montana. Mm. and this was like right when I signed they were like who do you want to collaborate with and everything is there for you on a plate of gold when you first sign but then they put French on the record very early but because I don't control every aspect you know of the situation there were some mistakes made and paperwork wasn't done properly and he was paid but not paid enough and he wasn't going to come for the video right then there was some like weird things that I got brought into like if you can deliver this, he'll come. And it's like, no, I can't. Like, this yeah. is not my job. So I right. started to realize I'm doing everyone's job. Yeah. You know? And this song actually is what held my project back for two years because everyone was like, this is the big one. Capitol Records was like, this is the big one. And at the end, they didn't protect me. Like, it yeah. came out without French. And it delayed my career for a year and a half because everyone was talking about this song and then they just released it unceremoniously. Like, it got less views than my regular songs. And it just, that was such a, such a lesson Yeah. that I was waiting on French Montana to do it for me and these people. And because I was not in control of the, I didn't know that I wasn't doing the law, lawyer stuff. I wasn't overlooking everything because I didn't check the contract that they, they didn't give him a contract when they gave him money. These are yeah. all the things that I pay attention to. That's why I was in that position, you know? Mm -hmm. So the song is, it exists. It's out there. You know, one yeah. day maybe people will hear it. But um, I think I just got mad and told you a random story. I'm sorry. I'm like, what was the question? I'm like, I'm here to rant about French Montana. I'm just. Kidding. I sort of, I sort of love it. You know, rant, ranting is is cathartic. I just don't care anymore. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Like I can say whatever I want. Yeah. Because they know the truth. I know the truth. And I'm not saying anything mean. I'm just saying what it is. Like enough women don't speak out about how they are held back in industry in different ways. Like I'm sure if I was. A different type of girl my music would have been a lot more places but i chose to not go that route you know and i was just gonna say it's also about being who you are and yeah. i wonder if that spirit of control and that spirit of ownership and that spirit of almost like the licensure to say it's my risk and I, but i own it and i wonder if that's what's really required to be an independent artist and, and i wonder if honestly that that's the spirit that has to be there when you establish a label godmother uh, in that oh, way. oh yeah it's definitely stressful because like i used to just like it's very easy for us to just be like oh the label's gonna pay for it oh yeah it's a fifty thousand dollar video yeah. easy that's how much it costs then you start writing the checks and you're like oh my god right please buy less water bottles like you know you're like oh my god right <laughs> is this necessary you know but I did like this huge production for the Made in India video, you know, yeah. from HBIC, that the EP with Madhuri Dixit. I directed it. Like, talk about taking control. That was a crazy experience. Like, mood board, like doing line by line from this second to this second. Pan camera pans to Madhuri's eyes, close up, edit right. fast. Like, it was so rewarding also because to do 26, 27 music videos probably direct a lot of them but never take credit and then step into that position and have it be mothery yeah. i was like someone tell me that i can't do this like somebody come and tell me that this can't be done because i'm going to show you it being done right now like well, and, the, and the gratification factor must just be uh, you know off the charts with that right because you know for you it's the it's not only just the product that and the outcome but the journey to get there oh man it was really crazy to just be standing there, wanting to be directing Madhuri on the microphone, just like yeah. feeding her the lyrics. Cause she was like, tell me the lyric before the lines. So I'm like, right. Made in 
India. She's like, made in India, made in India, made in India. You can see I'm, you know? So it was like so funny. Like the footage exists. I'm putting out the BTS. People can see this crazy situation. But yeah, I reflected on it a lot, like as a child, like, cause that moment when we reveal Madhuri is kind of like the manifestation in my mind. Like yeah. she is the epitome of everything. She was so far away from me as a little girl in Los Angeles, like growing up in Claremont, California. Yeah. That was my connection to Indian art. And then to say I'm made in India to make this bold statement, like clearly I'm born in America, but this is made in India. Like yeah. stop playing me. And just so you don't talk shit, here's Madhuri Dixit to give me a cosign real quick. Yeah. So you can't really say nothing, you know? You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, let's come back to our conversation with Raja Kumari. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation now with Raja Kumari. And I was going to say, I mean, you and I both grew up in, in Southern California. And, and, and certainly it's for me, we both have deep roots in India, physically, but obviously culturally as well. And, mm-hmm. and your vehicle of expression blends so much of those experiences together. It's the LA, it's the Claremont, it's the California experience, it's the music behind that, it's mm-hmm. all the cultural roots that you have as well. But I wonder if sometimes this lane can be or feel lonely as an artist, <laughs> right? Oh my God, um, so lonely. Yeah, so or, or is, or, but is that also the, the price of being an innovator in this space? You know, that's so crazy you said that because this is like literally the things I'm healing over right now. Like these yeah. are the things that my close friends and I are discussing is that, I will we'll get like very like fixated on the fact that like to pursue this, to push Indian music forward in the mainstream worldwide, I had to move completely alone to Bombay. Yeah. You know, I have to be away from my entire family for the last five years and like find a new family here and find myself here. And yeah, it because I have not focused at all on my personal life, I've only focused on Raja Kumari, the brand. Yeah. I do find it very lonely, you know? But then my friends told me, they were like, you know, the people that are are are, are blazing the trail, the people that are, are out there physically making way for other people are usually by themselves. But I feel like heal- it doesn't have to always be like that. I think just accepting that I felt lonely and that I do feel lonely made me understand that I'm not taking care of myself as a person, that I find myself feeling that music is divine. So, you know, as a classical dancer, we we give our art, you know, like even I'm talking and I'm like, I'm offering it. Yeah. And I think I bring that into my music, but that doesn't mean I need to give all of my personal energy to this because people yeah. will work you to the bone. They, they're, you're just a number to a lot of people right. and it's up to you to preserve, you know, your energy. So and I've, it's funny, that brings up one other thing. And in, in weaving and integrating that sort of personal wellness and, and the comfort and then the artistic success, which, yeah. which is naturally there and it, and it weaves and, and they sort of integrate together, it is the final realization of that perhaps dictated by how well you can, in some ways, artistically and professionally and personally code switch and finalize, finally actually you know, go from code switching to sort of just being yourself. I think I've been code switching forever. And it's this very, I think because as a classical Indian dancer, I learned very early how to play different roles, how to carry God frequency. So I like separated this concept of Raja Kumari from my personal self. I mean, 
now through my therapy in the last two years, I've realized that the character of Raju Kumari is, is built off of all the strong female characters from mythology that I played as a, as a child. And yeah. she's a warrior and she's so fierce that she protects the broken child, you know? And so now that she's so established and she's exhausted, okay? She is exhausting. And that is me. But I think the next project, you know, like what I'm, so I was supposed to release The Bridge. That was the album that was supposed to come out in August yeah. of 2020. And HBIC came first because it had to come first. It's an announcement. But at the yeah. very end of the EP, I say The Bridge is coming. Yeah. And The Bridge is the sonic bridge from, you know, the West back to the East. You know, the bridge is is between, music is the bridge between us and God. It's the bridge between the ancient to the future, you know, like bringing the classical. So I feel like where I'm going is going to show healing, is going to show integration. It's going to be more musical. And, you know, at my last show I did with the five-piece band and I got addicted to yeah. not just being an MC on a mic. Like, for me the performance is the whole thing. Like as a classical dancer, I'd go on stage in a costume, but I will show you Kurukshetra. Yeah. You know, I will show you a chariot. I will show you every character. I will show you every emotion. So when I go on stage for my music, it has to be equally immersive. It reminds me, or it makes me think of how patience sort of generates a lot of evolution. And you sharpened your, your whole craft through yeah. writing and listening and observing. And is that patience required to absorb the lessons that you learn and and for that matter is is patience sort of a lost art in an era where nothing short of like instant success is celebrated wow you have the greatest questions yes i, I think that's something so interesting i don't know where i it, it must it must be born into me as something i would need you know for this term i do believe i'm walking my term that's why the doors keep opening that sure. this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing you know my dad wanted me to be a doctor but I told him I can heal more people through my music you know yeah. my I wanted to be a teacher you know I was studying for religious studies and I was like I can actually teach more people through the music you know um so I believe that this is what I'm supposed to be doing but I feel that one thing that I've had to have and that has paid off for me is the patience and it's so funny because I feel like even when I was young I used to tell myself I have Patience is what I have so much of. Like, I am willing to wait for this plant to grow. I have seen it. You know, as, as a kid, I got a vision of the future. I call it a memory of the future. But I basically had a vision of myself on stage. I couldn't see myself. I could see out of my own eyes. And there was just a sea of like 80,000 people, something like 100,000, a lot of people. Yeah. And I felt the physical wave of energy. And like, it went through my body. And then it was like, I could see out of my eyes. I knew that I was older. I was stronger. I knew the frequency was so much more developed than who I was at 12. As soon as I came out of that vision, I said, how do I get there? That's the yeah. first thing I said, like a crazy person. So I feel like the patience to plant the seed and to, when I planted the seed, I already knew what the banyan tree would look like, you know? Yeah. So it's like that patience was, was required. And in this era where things are getting shorter and shorter, the attention span is shorter you know, it's so sad that I put an album out and two days later, it's old. It's like, yep. it took me a year. It took me years. It took me thousands of dollars to make this content, to upload it, to edit it. And it's just older like that. But there are those moments when people will message me and tell me a song off my first project saved their life today. 
Yeah. You know, and I keep myself understanding, especially with the passing of my friend Sidhu Musawala, you know, with him leaving the earth, you know, in a tragic way, every word he's ever said has become so much more important. You know, every single article, every single quote. And I just tell myself that I just need to stay patient and I need to do exactly what I was sent to do. I don't need to start wearing skimpier clothes. I don't need to start talking about just Kama Sutra so that people in the West can relate to my ethnicity. You know, I don't need to do any of those things to get a TikTok viral video because if I just stay with the music, music is spiritual, it's divine. It comes, it's an offering that I really give from my heart to the world as like my life's work. And I know that it will pay off. I just know it will. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, let's come back to our conversation with Raja Kumari. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation now with Raja Kumari. Let, let me ask you this. There, there's a line in HBIC where you say that you're about to start a renaissance. Yes. And and I was even thinking about sort of the kind of proclamation style of that song, Dawn. And and I wonder if there's an artistic kind of sweet spot that, that's sometimes difficult to stay at. And do people fall into a trap of constantly saying, gosh, you know, that sounds too American, or, or suddenly everything's a mudra and too many jati and tal phrases, and that mm-hmm. sounds too mm-hmm. Do you, mm-hmm. are you constantly thinking about that, or do you not, I mean, in the, in the light of what we've been talking about, do you just not care? I don't care. I think I just naturally am from both sides. Like, I just do whatever I hear. Like, I was working on some project, and the character had an Indian character, so I was rapping in English, and I just went, and they were, like, yeah. flipping out because... It's just what I hear, you know, I actually am both. Yeah. Because even though I grew up in Los Angeles and everything I'm saying is straight California. Yeah. And in my home, since I was six years old, I was doing five hours of Bharatanatyam every day. How am I supposed to be any different? People have been asking me a lot lately about like, what do you think your legacy will be? And I just feel like I just want to stay authentic. I want to, no matter what people think, there's so many opinions. I've had to write so many songs about people's opinions on my duality of identity. And I know like my fearlessness has encouraged others to adopt those things and make it more normal. Like, you know, if you see the the, the new spring of the fusion artists, they are following some of the trends that I was doing in 2016, which is, which for me is really rewarding because I'm in a different place, so I know where I'm going is where I'm going to take everyone, and where yeah. I'm going is is artistic. It's high art. It's not me in my underwear. And let me ask you this, then. I mean, when you say the word legacy, do you think about how artists technically age and evolve as they age? Has that has how do you reflect on that? My legacy, I hope, is that I just keep, you know, pushing the boundaries. But really, it's about Godmother now. You know, like I really feel like I'm in the position. I, in India, like, I think a lot of people have issues saying like, oh, you're privileged, you're from America, but it's like, okay, what did I do with my privilege? I came home, I came back to where I really came from and I learned about what it's like to be an Indian, like to be someone my age in India. What are the real struggles? What, not the imaginary struggles our parents brought in the seventies and have now made this like full-time machine that the diaspora is running on. It doesn't, it's not the end all be all to live in America forever. Like, I don't know where I'm gonna end, but what I do know is that I truly love living in India. 
I see so much room for me to help people in a real way. And what I learned, you know, in Los Angeles, sitting next to Timbaland and Dr. Dre and, you know, Scott Storch and just name them. I've been in the room with them. I've made music. They know me, you know, I have to obviously invest more in that. You know, it can't be a distant memory. I want to come work, but I want to bring them to India. I want them to be in music songwriting camps and teaching these young producers so that the way the Latin community has the Latin Grammys, like when are I see a vision of us being in the mainstream and our art being respected from Santur players over to rappers, like our music, our culture deserves to be understood through us. Yeah, It deserves to not be exoticized. It deserves for the story to be told through us and not just diaspora voices. Yeah. Like I'm very, very, it's very important to me that I always try to like bring in like homegrown voices. Like whenever yeah. I do playlists, it's not just like me and Joy Crooks and and Priya Raghu and, uh, you know, Ravina Aurora. Like these are all diaspora people who have like benefited from being around different studios and stuff. I'm talking about, you know, MC Altaf and DMC and people that like hip hop was like a joke and they had to fight for their art, you know, like I'm here to bring more light to what's happening in India and, and not just rappers, singer songwriters, musicians, just like, I'm not going to dictate how they are. I'm just going to provide production value and guidance and songwriting, you know, that should be the legacy. In in that way, with that kind of legacy in mind and thinking about you with sort of a front row seat to it, right? You mentioned earlier that there's the motherland and then there's the homeland, you know, and and I love that in in that way, as you've now been living in India for many years, but you sort of also have this yearning to be in 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 the homeland and, and vice versa, for that matter. Does it give you a new empathy or a different empathy for your parents? Of course. I think about like that they left with no FaceTime. They had to print pictures, write letters. My mom was 22. And I think about, I think now that, because, you know, we're all in, all of our generations, like in therapy, we're like, you said this and that's why it affects me. And it's like, they didn't get a chance to go to therapy. There's, they didn't get a chance. She literally went from her dad's house to her husband's house, took care of her kids. And now we're older. And it's like, her sacrifice is why I'm a CEO because she doesn't even know it, but it's like she created a space that I was, my dad and my mom together, you know, created a space where I could be an artist. In that way, I I imagine that your experience in, in some ways kind of transplanting into Mumbai, I can see in how that might relate to what the journey was that your parents took. For them. You know? Yeah. I told him, I was like, you know, there's some lyrics in manifest. I I talk about two lives and two times. I said, Daddy told me, why, why'd you move from America? I did all this work just to get you here. And now you ran back down to India. Right. And it's like 40 years ago, he left for, for opportunity. And, and I came back for opportunity. Yeah. And I feel like, like that's the beautiful circle. thing about India. Yeah. You know, like how beautiful that India, my dad was born in 1951. So just four years after, like, what is that? Four years after independence. Yeah. And it's like, imagine, you know, like, I feel like that's such a beautiful thing that, that I would want to come and I hope that other people come back. I think a lot of diaspora artists see like what I've done and what like, you know, other diaspora people who have come to India and and made a career here. It's definitely not easy. It's definitely an alternate universe. Things do not work the regular way. 
patriarchy rules the day. You right. have to be very smart. You got to get people to think it's their own idea. Right. You got to swallow a lot of pride. But India is gives gifts unlimited. Like yeah. it just keeps flowing because it's the motherland. She loves you. She wants you home. Let's imagine that you're speaking specifically to some of your newest listeners. Mm-hmm. And when they hear your music for the first time, what do you hope actually that they learn about you? And for that matter, how do you hope they feel about themselves? I just hope they feel powerful. Yeah. In my darkest moments, I made this music to manifest my own power. And I feel like I've charged it with so much energy and hoping that it does the same in your life. And I just hope that, you know, that you know that what I'm saying is coming from a real place and that I have a lot that I want to do and a lot of different music to make. And if you are part of my you know, journey that I hope we can enjoy it together and that I can give soundtrack to your life because the next album, I'm thinking so much deeper than just identity. I'm going, I'm, Svetha is going to tell some stories yeah. on the next one. You know, she's, in, she's getting involved now. You know, so. Well, that sense of empowerment, that sense of giving and your generosity of your art is, is really infectious. Um, Raja, thank you so, so much for joining us. Of course. And I'll see you when I'm back in California. <laughs>